Hello, I'm Emily Bellet, founder of Vespod and author of You're Not Broke, You're Pretty Rich. And you're listening to The Wallet. Every week we give you the best tips, guidance and a good dose of inspiration and motivation to manage your money better. Diana Biggs is on a mission to explore the future of finance and technology. She has an impressive background, working as the head of digital innovation for HSBC and later as their first global head of innovation. Diana is currently a board member of the World Economic Forum's Digital Leaders of Europe community and an associate fellow of the Side Business School at the University of Oxford. I wanted to tap into Diana's expertise and passion for blockchain technology and the digitalization of financial services. So today we discuss decentralization and Web3, the future of financial services, as well as how cryptocurrencies can have a wider impact beyond potentially bringing returns. We all at different stages in our financial lives. Some of us are trying to save for a rainy day or our first home, and others are investing and building our retirement funds. But the journey is never linear, and we could all do with a little help. Moneybox is an award-winning app, helping over 800,000 people reach their goals and build wealth with confidence. Moneybox runs up your spare change and allows you to choose how and where you want to invest and save. You can sign up in minutes with as little as one pound, Download the Moneybox app today or go to moneybox.com slash Vespod for more information. As always with investing, your capital is at risk. Remember that we are not certified financial advisors. Information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. You know, I've been on your website, I've been on your Twitter, <laughs> on your company website, And your mission is to explore the future of finance and technology. Can you tell me what does that mean? I started using the internet in the early 90s when it was you could you could access it through something called Freenet and somehow got involved in a bit of the cyberpunk movement and going to to meetups in the early 90s for 2600 which was a hacker quarterly. And I think what drew me to that was, well, I had I had access through actually my, my older brother, who's really technical and got really into the internet to actually using it when it was very web, um, and very text-based. So this was sort of like pre-web and watching the emergence of the web. And that experience from being like quite young and, and getting involved in that and having the ability to communicate with people over the internet got me really interested in this idea. And what attracted me to that as well was the exchange of information and at the time that that sort of narrative around those early users and builders of the internet was a, uh, this concept of information wants to be free and enabling access to information so that was sort of the wave one you know i then actually ended up studying biochemistry and transferring to architecture i think i've been somebody who's <laughs> always not really sure what they wanted to do but also there wasn't really that um kind of like the commerciality built around the internet yet So I, I ended up going into international development, but and because that sort of purpose-driven work was really attractive to me, but how I angled myself in not having a degree in that was by offering to help them with the internet and to set up websites and to help um, this particular um, think tank to disseminate their information over the internet in a better way to reach more audiences. Um, so... <laughs> There wasn't much of a career path there. It led me to the MBA, which led me into financial services. And because of my previous work as a consultant with Oliver Wyman, I was really interested in um, emerging markets in, in that 
aspect as well with financial services. So I had actually started doing quite a bit of work in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, caveat that also with, I had started in management consulting and financial services early in January, 2008. <laughs> so by the end of that year, uh, the entire industry was in a crisis and I was like, okay, perfect timing, uh, to, <laughs> I was there so. <laughs> to join the world of finance now that it's starting to fall apart, which made actually the projects in, in Europe and North America to be much more focused on like adapting, adapting to regulation. That was obviously less exciting. The projects, um, in emerging markets, Eastern Europe and Sub-Saharan Africa, which more sort of green field and um, looking at like what new markets could they capture. And that's sort of what um, led me to realize that there was actually this entire topic area of financial inclusion and a lot of people that, that were looking for access to financial services. And the way that that was being enabled was predominantly through through mobile phones. Um, I then decided that, you know, eventually over the number of years that technology and inclusion through technology is where I wanted to go. So I left Oliver Wyman in 2012, um, and I had been working over the past three years as a volunteer with Kiva. So I, I took some time out during yeah. that career switch to actually spend time on the ground with Kiva, working in Burkina Faso and Sierra Leone, um, which was fascinating. And maybe maybe Kiva, you can explain it. Yeah, so Kiva um, is a San Francisco-based startup that's actually enabling people to provide microfinance loans over the internet, um, super high repayment rate, around 99%. And uh, the way that it works is through working with local organizations on the ground around the world that are actually um, handing out those those loans, but the the funds itself are facilitated through lenders, which can be anyone signing up to, to lend their funds through the, the Kiva website. Um, and... And yeah, so that, that was really exciting. But then it was also a kind of eye-opening in the way of just the, the number of intermediaries and the local organizations that are required to do that and, and how that setup actually works in practice as well. Um, so then in 2013, I moved to New York City um, and ended up uh, joining, um, helping to co-found a startup called SoCo, which was using mobile tools to help enable artisans in, in East Africa to access... Um, economic opportunities available through the internet by selling their goods and that was quite eye-opening as well in terms of we were having to we were a u.s-based company but um also with our offices in out of uh, nairobi and so doing quite a bit of um, international money transfers and uh, learned the complexity of the correspondent banking system firsthand um, as well particularly um yeah, when when needing to to transfer money into into Africa, and so in twenty thirteen, I came across actually through my younger brother, who's a computer programmer, uh, Bitcoin. Um, somebody had opened that idea to me earlier. Um, like they'd mentioned it somehow. Bitcoin had come up, I think, back in like twenty eleven or twenty twelve. But at the time, I hadn't. It hadn't been as immediate to me what the use cases or the need could be for a digital form of money. Um, but it certainly was after my experience um, working and living on the ground in, in Sierra Leone and Burkina Faso, and then now with a company that was looking to work cross-border as well. So did you start like buying Bitcoins and, and cryptos? Is it how you 
you got started? I mean, did you see it more as a... I think a lot of people still see Bitcoin as, you know, an investment um, and where they just expect a financial return. But did you see it really as a, as a game changer and as a way to sort of, you know, decentralize finance? Um, at, at which point did you realize that, you know, it could have a much bigger uh, impact? Yeah, so back when, when I first started... Um watching and learning about bitcoin in 2013 i guess also you know your it, it depends on like your your personal perspective so i hadn't really thought of it as something like oh uh well i mean yes we were purchasing some my my brother and i are like looking at like oh maybe this this is interesting but it was really interesting um, like as a potential investment because at that point in time it was like it was going up quite substantially yeah. and we we're trying to understand that um but i think Ultimately, that wasn't really what was driving my interest or my involvement uh, to my own de detriment now, clearly. Um, but but it was more about like, what are the possibilities and what's happening here? And is a new form of money possible that is inherently global and digital? Um, and and just how interesting that could be, I think. And that, that's really that's really what color did. It was looking at like, could this provide easier rails? Could this be a much more efficient system? Um, and could this be a system that works well with the world that we envision, which was always one that was really about being a, a global citizen um, and having like a quite a digitally focused life. And that had something that had been inherent to us, like from having been really young and grown up in um, in an environment where we, we actually spent a lot of our time from before most people had heard of the internet on the internet. Um, so I think we were always sort of waiting for the, that type of opportunity. And then, I mean, through my career and just my sort of personal path of where I've lived, like working and living and having traveled to over 90 countries and being someone who's constantly having to figure out how to open new bank accounts or move money around the world. That, that was also something that was appealing, but is clearly like in that aspect, quite niche at the time. Um, but then also just looking in places where, okay, there are, there are quite a few countries where the financial system doesn't work and inherently if you look at the trend line over time um the world is is getting more um globally and internationally connected in terms of commerce and the way people live their lives so, so that was the trend line that we saw that made it interesting in terms of a concept and the potential opportunities I saw moving my career into that area as something that made sense because it was like just from the the technology and the possibility and the opportunities of in the future so something that that had legs and then from having worked in financial services as well then there was that angle in order to to sort of enter and I ended up meeting an investor in late 2013 who was looking to start a crypto exchange in London and that's what pulled me in uh, full-time into the space in 2008 um you know the, the financial crisis i think that was also maybe the catalyst for a big change in you know in the financial services in wealth management um people started to you know use some 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 fintechs then we had open banking the fintech started to partner with with banks um, that also changed maybe the, the infrastructure and we started to see, you know, more like, you know, decentralization. Um, 
how did you you know what what happened at, at the time and, and what do you think is the you know the adoption from from then to to now really it, bitcoin's inception happened in 2008 and and there was a group of people that were you know looking at creating a new form of electronic cash that operated out of the system actually for quite some time before that there had been people trying to to launched that type of project but before that the technology was never ready to allow for a system that actually didn't have a central intermediary and so previous attempts at something similar always did still rely on one central party and that central party would usually end up getting shut down by the U.S. government because obviously the idea of the creation of a, a form of money or anything financial outside of an existing governmental control and financial regulation is something that um, central banks and governments aren't keen to see. 2008, of course, with the financial crisis, there was just a lot more awareness around the potential corruption in, in these systems, even in, I think there was a lot of awareness around the corruption in certain countries in the world. I think for the Western world, it was sort of less so. And I mean, even today, a lot of the pushback that we see around something like Bitcoin is from people comfortably sitting. I, I was on a panel last week with someone who said, you know, I don't think the Bank of England is corrupt and I have no problem getting a mortgage. So there's no need for a system like Bitcoin to exist, which um, is obviously a super narrow view, but you can see why if that's the only thing that the, those individuals have experienced, that's the way they might have seen it. Um, and I think, so So that's certainly where Bitcoin came from and how those political motivations and Bitcoin and the exception and growth of the entire crypto movement sort of was born out of that. Many people today probably aren't necessarily familiar with, with that and there's you have different routes of coming in, but that it was certainly born with, with that political motivation in mind and this idea of the reasons that we would need um, or want a system that... Um, was essentially trustless or moving away from trusted third parties that are uh, corrupt or maybe, you know, to varying levels, but just to, to have that sort of um, freedom and a new digital, like a new way of of setting things up. I think that sort of like, that's actually a really key point when we're looking at crypto and Web3 now and all of these projects is that you have to have an an optimism for the future. I, mean, I would hope it's an optimism. Of course, that all depends on, on how we build it. Um, but also the um, that perspective of something, building something completely new, creating new systems is actually possible. Um, and I don't even know if I would have even believed it as much. I think having seen the way that the, the internet came out from something that you know hardly anyone really used um, and just sort of being like teased about it quite a bit when I was younger into something that was just like so commonplace. I think with, with crypto, I was maybe a bit less sure because it seemed even more, much more niche. Um, and, you know, like the, the concerns around it are, there were obviously valid ones. Um, but actually those ideas and just having watched from being involved really early on projects like Ethereum really emerge out of just an idea and realizing that these ideas really can um, change the world and come coming out of just a sort of a group of young people or people who like technologists, um, economists, people who believe that something different and better is possible um, is is really amazing and I think quite uh, important 
um, and overall quite hopeful. Um, so, yeah, I think, oh, and then to, to comment on your points about sort of open banking and the waves with innovation with, um, and financial services overall, sort of we have that sort of the, the issues happening with the financial system. And then we have, of course, just the, the fact that industry sectors of all types are being digitized um, throughout that decade of time as well. Um, financial services being one of the, the, the last, but I think clearly with the financial crisis, it, it sort of made it even more clear that that's something that needs to happen to that industry. Um, just it, It's just obviously a m- more complex problem to solve because of the nature of the legacy systems, because of the complexity of data, data privacy issues, and then also the complexities around the financial regulation and, and how that differs across different jurisdictions um, and the implications. And then the I think also the to do with the business models and the types of companies that um, were controlling and, and dominating those sectors. And, and you and you worked in um, in innovation for, for a long time also for you know for HSBC. What what do you think are the the main challenges for, for the banks today when we think about the future of money, um, payments, um, digital assets, you know, where, where, where is it going? Yeah, I think so. I mean, for, for me, it was interesting perspective having actually worked in crypto and then gone into um, a bank to work in innovation. Um, so that, that was, you know, quite a, quite a dramatic change um, and building out innovation teams in a bank um, but not coming from that sort of large institution culture, uh, um, I would say, yeah, it, it lent also to, to a different perspective there. I think, you know, there is a genuine interest um, to, to innovate. And by the time that I had started an innovation team 2017, the narrative had shifted from fintechs competing with banks to banks looking to collaborate with fintechs. I think that was born out of the fact that, um, you know, banks came rightly to realize that they are not technology companies, although um, some were certainly trying and continue to try to some extent. Um, but there, there's complexity there with regards to the legacy infrastructure that I mentioned before, which is certainly not to be underestimated. And you know, obviously you can't sort of pause operations in a bank for some time. And just because of the nature of that previous tech, which is, is financial services had been using technology for about 30 years um, it's not even something, you know, like creating a, a new tech company, which is sort of built from scratch more in 2008. So you, you have a lot of history there in terms of your, your tech stack and what you're stuck with. Then you have the, of course, the, the regulators and the complexity of, um, I think a lot of, a lot of the complexity is around handling the data, getting data. And because like digital business models are, are data driven, how can that work? Um, and then the organizational structures and sort of the dynamics at play in terms of who owns what in an organization and how you create that sort of cultural shift within a very large organization um, of moving into um, a very different way of setting up your business and what's driving it and, and how it's controlled. And so I think often there's that tension between sort of like a new digital team and then the existing teams around different business units um, and the merging of those is certainly um, not to be underestimated as well. 
And, and what's going what's gonna to be the impact for us as you know, consumers. So let's take, let's take myself, for example, you know, I'm banking, I'm, I'm, you know, I have maybe different currencies. Um, I have my pension, I have my investment, I may use an investment platform, but what's going to happen in, you know, in the future with, with web three, um, with decentralized finance, and maybe you can just start by, you know, giving us the, the definition of decentralized finance and, and web three, you know, how is that going to change um, my life? Web, well, web three is really about, it's about the use of blockchain technology in order to create new systems in which data is really owned and controlled by individuals, but they're also able to benefit from that. They're able to benefit through that because of the, the types of economic models and systems and sort of the ways that organizations work within this new framework um, is one that allows for in each individual to get the economic benefits, which would previously come from the controlling third-party corporations. And of course, in order to enable that, which was, this was sort of a theme that's been, been going on for some time. We started to see as we sort of, 2008, we had the backlash against the, the financial institutions and the banks. We saw, you know, banks used to be the institutions that were controlling our societies that were the, the you know, had the biggest market caps and that were the big organizations that people wanted to work for. You know, from the mid 2000s into where we are today that shifted and was technology everybody wanted to work in tech the cool companies to work for were google or facebook at the time that's where people were seeing all of the growth um and then those companies became the ones that are actually the you know apple as well of course biggest um market cap in the world and people began to realize and I think became over the past few years we saw like you know increasing numbers of data breaches um regulation GDPR increasing concerns about controls over technology um you know there's geopolitical factors there a lot of that was always between the U.S. and China um sort of the concept of the cloud is becoming one that people now understand and recognize and sort of where your data is being stored who controls that data um, right now, that you know is not something that's helping the the individual. That was always like a topic that that was really interesting. It's something that you know we were. If you were someone who came from yeah that space of looking at like new potential systems and ideas of self sovereignty, um, and control of the individual away from any potentially corrupt third party which of course is the one that, that came out and the, the origins that I mentioned before of crypto. Now the, the new sort of bad guys are the tech companies. Um, yeah. Then that's been a really interesting, and I think actually some of the like earliest projects that I was advising and helping on in, in crypto were around sort of being able to create new like systems, um, like look at an Amazon Alexa, but using blockchain technology to allow individuals to be owning their data and then actually um, benefiting from the use of that data for other parties, um, for, for other use cases, and also to be aware of it. So this this was the technology system that allows for that, that sort of traceability as well as for individuals to, to have wallets and for there to actually be this tokenization that would allow for, for the repayment of that um, 
and there's different elements of the technology that that makes that something that can be um quite done quite simply and and efficiently we're getting to a point now where more people are becoming aware of the possibilities it's become clearer that a new system is possible it's um the technology has matured to an extent and I think the the narrative around technology companies also as I mentioned has shifted in that more people are becoming interested in the idea of control of their own data of being able to monetize that and the fact that this new technology actually enables that and it's not just a narrative that somebody's using to to get to make an ICO and to get tokens in but these are real projects that are being built with this technology that will enab- enable a system that that will allow for people to to reap more benefits and to have more control of their their own data and digital property and and some people will go as far as saying okay you know we we then won't need maybe central banks, we won't need regulators. <laughs> and then, you know, what's, what's next? Do we need states? Do we need, do we need government? Um, so beyond just thinking about the technology, um, what's going to be sort of the, you know, social impact, politi- political impact of, of decentralization? Yeah, I think that's a really fascinating question. And you know, I think that these these are the types of things that are ideas that could seem crazy, but then as we look more closely into what's happening in, in our economic systems, that it is a possibility. I think some of the really, there was a lot of really interesting um, projects that have been worked on for the past seven or eight years out of crypto, looking at this idea of self-sovereign identity, of creating new alternatives to existing nation states um you know and whether there could be this concept of of actually um geographic mobility and um sort of individuals coming together to form their own sort of collectives and and, you know DAOs decentralized autonomous organizations could be one way of setting that up but you know you know it is that actually an idea that that will no longer work of like traditional borders, traditional nation states, the existing um, systems of government that we have today? You know, have has it been proven that those simply don't work and incentives aren't aligned in the right way, and that actually, the where we're going in the world is is one where people are forming their their own collectives, perhaps around you know shared shared beliefs and um shared interests then because so much because we're so much more interconnected digitally can can those be set up um outside of 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 geographical borders um yeah i think i think it's one of those things that yeah will sound crazy but but is absolutely possible and and we have the technology infrastructure to enable it today um, I mean, we're still still working on it, of course, but those are the types of concepts that I think sort of the for, help form the overall um, purpose behind uh, the shifts that are happening and, and that you do sort of have to be open to in your mind um, when we're looking at the creation of these new types of systems. And in terms of, of 
us as, as individuals, you know, as, as we learn, as, you know, we're, we start to, you know, go more into Web3. Um, I guess it's, you know, buying, buying cryptos, um, maybe, you know, is, is one way to, to get into that. It's, it's basically how, it's where, where do we put our money? basically and how we how we spend money so what are the things you you can do or you can start thinking about on an individual um, level yeah so i think this is where it gets really tricky because we're dealing with um some very like long-term social economic governance types of changes and shifts that that are very much more long-term and that it's very difficult to find a way or you know to, to know how to respond to today so I, I I think there's there's that and that's important to have as a sort of framework in your mind um, and it's of course all still an, an unknown as well um, so, but, but having sort of a vision of what you see for the future and keep, keeping that in mind when you're making any type of an investment, I think is, is important today. I mean, there's, there's a lot of hype and excitement and sort of this convergence around, or as you said, like, a interest in themes like web three and a sudden shift from crypto being something that was really uh, sort of for outsiders or I've had people tell me numerous times over the past years it's going into career death um, and we, there's been a sudden inflection where it's become quite trendy I mean there's still obviously a lot of haters but suddenly a lot of people want to work in that and there's a there's a, a massive amount of um, new projects and new opportunities from companies of all kinds that are looking to clap, uh, capitalize on um, the just the the new economic opportunities. I guess for me, coming from someone who's always sort of been more interested or working right at the cusps of those changes, you know, there's the part of the question is like, okay, is, is this area not interesting anymore? Because now, you know, Disney, Nike, everyone is coming on and it's sort of being monetized. At the same time, it's like, oh, this is like the, the shift that we've all been working for. Um, and, you know, it's it's the opportunity to look at how we should be capitalizing on this and um, really helping it to, to grow and flourish in whatever form. And then noting on top of that, just the speed of change and the speed of innovation and just the amount of people putting energy in and how that's all being done in a majority open source, but certainly online led way um, and inherently global, which means that it is very 24 seven. And we also can see huge amounts of um, just investment going into the space, certainly all the, the crypto native funds and because of the, the growth um, in a lot of those projects and their market caps, you have huge amounts of money being able to pour in there. And now also all of the sort of VCs, traditional finance investors also wanting to get in on the action, which floods even more money into the system. Um, which sort of, yeah, I, I suppose for me, it's, it's looking at like, how do we, how do we capitalize on that in order to enable the growth for the systems that we're trying to do and the amount of projects? And actually, it's it's incredible and really exciting that there's such an influx of, of talent and investment. Um, but also looking at 
just the question of like, okay, where do we focus our energy on right now that will allow for the real building that needs to happen and sort of shy away from things that are uh, shiny new objects and um, looking to sort of to build on that that current hype um, just for the sake of uh, growing a brand or perpetuating an existing system but that now is has an, a new term around it or, or a new company name um but but really it's the it's the same old systems and power structures as previously so we have a really exciting opportunity but i think it's also important to stay grounded and actually also to see that bigger picture of why we wanted to build things in these ways and what's what are the sorts of projects um and investments that are helping us move towards those goals I think it's natural that it's really confusing for people, for a lot of people or intimidating because of the speed of change and just the sheer amount of different types of projects and things that are happening, the, the quite technical nature of a lot of it and sort of having to be able to, to understand a lot of new and emerging uh, technologies and, and how they interact with existing ones as well, which people may have only still been com- trying to come to grips with. Um, and then also that the, the, the questions of sort of investment and money management, um, a lot of those are being brought to the fore in a new way um, because of a lot of these systems, which are much more accessible and also combining things like sort of, you know, look, let's look at NFTs. It's combining sort of art and culture and collectibles also with this idea of an investment. And that really opens the doors to making in, investment management um, and opportunities and investments more accessible and more interesting for a lot of people that it might not have been before. But it's also a whole area to sort of learn how to work with in its own right, um, which for a, a lot of people, you know, it's not something that's taught in schools and, and it certainly should be because it's it's really core. But depending on um, your experience or how, you, you know, your life has been or your priorities have been or your um, sort of like introduction and, and management of finance to date, it, you I think there's there's a lot of different angles that people might be coming in at and then combining it with just the amount of FOMO um, and and that hype. So we've seen, especially with the fact that this is all done sort of online, um, definitely with crypto, Twitter has been a huge element. I'm seeing more and more through other channels like Instagram, sort of copies of different people who are influencers in the space with people actually like creating duplicate accounts or just sort of like new accounts and it's a lot of social signaling it's a lot of oh I I got into this where are you and like also nfts add an element to that because there's the visual elements so you have it as your profile pick um and I think I think that that can be quite stressful and and difficult and confusing too when you know, on the one hand, it's this idea of building a new system that gives more power to individuals and that moves away from existing hierarchies and power structures um, and is a really exciting and empowering opportunity um, that should be helping everyone in increasing accessibility. And then a flip side where it's feeling like, oh, I've already missed out on this and that, or it's really about people with inside jokes or inside clubs or 
an, a new, even if it's a digital sort of investment club that only certain people can get invited to. And yeah, and I think that's a bit of a conflicting narrative at this point in time, just in terms of the stage of development that we're at. And it's something that I think isn't really talked about enough, um, but that is certainly um, important to to bear in mind. I, I agree with you. I think, you know, traditional finance is already complicated enough for most people to understand, you know, money management, how to invest their money, think about, you know, retirement. Um, and now you add this like, you know, super sexy, like NFTs, <laughs> like the crypto on top. And, and yeah, there's a real feeling of, of missing out, um, the hype, wanting to get in today. Uh, and this is very complicated. And sometimes people just, you know, jump one step, two steps, and they end up um, maybe actually losing money. So I think the education is really key here. Um, but it's good that you said, you know, it's 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 still early stage. So there's no need to, you know, jump in, sell everything, buy <laughs> buy everything and, and go and go all in. But actually it's more learning and learning why it's important, you know, why it exists, what is the centralized finance and why why are we are we going there? Absolutely. That's exactly it. I think it's about being able to stay curious and imagine this future and trying not to get deterred from some of the messages um, or some of the, the social signaling that, that we're seeing today, um, you know, and to, to be patient, I think, you know, when learning about potential yeah. investments and money management and making those types of decisions, it's, it's always better to give yourself the time to, to think things through and to, to not, um, to not rush into to those types of decisions, which can feel like the opposite of some of these new projects um, because it's all about sort of first mover advantage, but I would say definitely not, not necessarily. Um, and certainly even from, you know, individuals running some of the, the, the biggest funds in the space and some of the, the most OGs that, that I know, I've often had to admit that when you're trading you're usually losing money and it's sort of buying and holding but only buying and holding what you can actually have um firm convictions behind and something really understand um and the information is out there i think what's great about like crypto and a lot of these projects a lot of them are open source there's a lot of information online there's a, the, the ability to get involved with online communities on twitter on discord um, so you can typically find ways to, to learn about the projects quite easily, but that also takes time. That also takes navigating against uh, certain concepts or projects that, that might be promoting something in a certain way. So you, you really like, yeah. you always, obviously with investments have to do your own research, but, um, here even more so, um, but but that that opportunity is there and then you can find um the the things that that resonate with you um but also bearing in mind that this is a very emerging space um and yeah just managing that sort of the risk and involvement accordingly thank you so much diana um do you have any recommendation in terms of maybe book or resources for people who are interested in the space and and want to, to learn more, get started, not necessarily investing, but more like understanding um, the technology, um, the use of, you know, 
um, smart contracts, for example, um, decentralized finance, Web3? Yeah, I think um, there are some really great media companies that have come out of um, crypto. And so you have some, some really helpful newsletters from some of those providers, as well as podcasts, just with the the pace of change um i think that that can those can obviously be the better resource than perhaps uh, books just just because of the the amount of innovation and the speed of change in the space um so definitely i would say to explore podcasts there and then there's also some really interesting online courses i think more universities are doing some really fascinating work in the space and also introductory courses so um i'm of course associated with the university of oxford um we have online executive education programs um it's great to see also i'm doing um lectures there for the fintech electives for the the mba and emba so i think um for for those people who who are in in school or looking to do um online education there's some really great options there as well Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Wallet. Every other week I answer your questions about money on the show. To get involved send your questions and comments via hotline to podcast@vespot.com. If you send us a voice note, you may even get to hear your voice on the next Hotline episode. Be sure to share this show with your friends and subscribe on your favorite platform. Please also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It only takes a few seconds, but it helps more people find our show. Join us again next Thursday for another episode of The Wallet. I will be chatting with Crystal McGilvery about how to fall in love with finance. <laughs>